Kia ora, welcome to Dancing in Your Head, a show which explores the outer reaches of music. And um, today we're joined by a very special guest, Beck Coogan. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the scenes, we've just been racing yeah. to plug in things, get ready for what's in store. And um, what is in store? Well, Dan, um, firstly, I'd like to say thanks for having me today. Hey, you're welcome. On the outer edge of limits, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, what I thought I'd start with is um, a special moment for me when I, I, I sort of dared to do a song live where I hadn't actually written the lyrics properly yet. And I kind of dared myself to go into a, just go into that space where I was just trying to tell the story while I was playing live, and um, and I didn't really expect, I didn't know what was going to happen or anything. But what I found really interesting from it, and because it is just a repetitive riff, and we all know that repetitive riffs are really good for kind of trancing out slightly. But I really did find myself going into that space of the song and like losing myself in the song and uh, really losing myself in the story. And a part of me was like, wow, is this what folk music used to do? Did people just used to like lose themselves in the story? And is that what folk music is? So I don't know. I still don't know the answer to any of those questions, but um, I'll play you that song, eh? (laughs) Most deaf, yeah. <laughs> so this what? was actually oh I, while while I'm here, I do want to say thanks, Dan, for um, heaps of stuff because because uh, you've invited me to play lots of gigs. Um, without that invitation, I would hardly have ever probably done solo stuff because a lot of the things I'm probably going to play today are band things like and that I've done with collaboration and then I've done with the group idea to kind of move me along. And um, to perform solo for me is always like pretty scary, and um, I only do it when people ask me to do a gig. So if I hadn't been asked to do these gigs, I wouldn't have done solo. Is this a solo? And so this is a solo one. So Which this of is your solo personalities. Is this? Oh yeah, true. Um, I can't remember whether this gig was Universe or Shivel. They're kind of both the same thing, really. Mm. But um, I think for this gig, I don't know, it might have been a Shivel one. And it was when I did the support for uh, Lee and Brotsman. Is that how I say their name? Oh, yeah. Peter yeah. Brotsman. And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Lee. Lee, Lee. yeah. <laughs> and, like, uh, and it was kind of, yeah, and it was at Meow, and it was about four years ago, yeah, five years been, ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, three. Three. Maybe. We've lost time. Yeah, that's what happens. <clears throat> you lose time out when you're on the edges. So, um, yeah, so this was from that gig. And for those that don't know, because I yep. didn't give you a good introduction, I just said your name. So, Beck Kogan is a multi dimensional artist and musician. Uh, Cortina. Yep, Cortina. I mean, diverse, right? Ukulele Orchestra. Yep. Which, yep. Of which uh, I think there are a few lurking around by Kakariki. Oh, yeah, there are. One. Yeah. yeah, there is. Francis and Megan. Yeah. Yo! <laughs> Yo, mate. You uh, friends. The Gorge. Yep. Um, uh, bunch of heaps of stuff. Oh, Full Fucking Moon. Yep. Obviously, fantastic band. And then all your art. The art stuff. Yep. 
And then there's fantasizing, which is kind of like crosses over between art world and music gigs. And then there's, and then the very first band I was ever in was um, Dogtooth Violet. I brought some in today that we can play. Ooh, actually, yeah. nice. I thought we'd better start have a have a hoon with them. <laughs> and then another another kind of funny little uh, thing that we haven't mentioned is this band that I was in briefly called New Zealand with John Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> New Zealand was a really hilarious uh, experience. I even brought in uh, my New Zealand CD. Well, all New right. Zealand. So anyway, so we've got lots of stuff to spin today. So we'll start off with that moment where I terrified myself by playing solo behind a landscape painting that had a car speaker stuck in it. I remember. Yeah. And um, I was trying to. Oh, and the the landscape was a picture of a golden pond, and I've used that landscape painting um, and lots of different little art performances and things like that. And so for this gig, I was kind of like half hiding behind it, half appearing from it and sort of using it as part of my um, sound on stage. And um, this song is called Golden Pond. And it's kind of me singing a uh, heartfelt love song to Judith Collins (laughs) to uh, try and get into the mind of Judith and why is she, what makes power people and greedy people and like really what seems like judgmental kind of people um, that um, dominate with sort of, I don't know what it is, uh, whatever their ethos is. But I was just sort of trying to think about, is she scared or deep down does she just, desire to be free or like like what makes her so kind of for want of a better word evil (laughs) (laughs) but um so yeah this one's to uh, my you know so I was kind of trying to pretend she was my lover which was actually really hard but anyway uh oh god I can't believe I even did that but anyway this is (laughs) here's some of the song okay play
Oh, yeah. Um, so that was uh, Judith Collins' lover. Yeah. Um, Shivo wailing in the, with some, um, you might have noticed uh, the backing track on that one. Like, I just, because I looped myself um, and I was kind of like calling myself something like a, a bogan angel or something. And that was, that was like the, ah! it was constantly kind of going on behind me. Mm. Yeah, that was part of the stage act, mm-hmm. channeling them, getting them in the room. Yeah, but anyway, that's what that was, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think we're, we're, we're going from relatively recent to all the way back Yeah. to um, Palmerston North. Yeah, I thought it would Army be good days. to yeah. Yeah, totally pay homage to the roots, eh? Mm-hmm. From the roots to the fruits. So um, I brought in today a very special album, and it is a compilation Um a Valve compilation and put out by Yellow Bike Records, which was um, just far out. So many cool palmy ites back in those days. But I think Dave White was the main one responsible for compiling this. Mm-hmm. And I'll just like, just to give you a taste of Palmerston North back in like 1993 or four or something like that. I should know the year this was made but I didn't I can't remember but um this is the first this was the first volume and it's called rope buns and clucking in the streets volume zero and um it has on this album these were the bands of uh my youth cunt Claire's unnatural twin scratch meat market cannibal sex kicks polio e-whore Dogtooth Violet, that was my band. Um, Surplus Sons of a Factory Nation. And then on side two, there is music from Freudhead, Master Cheesemaker, Paranymph, State of Hate, The Ashvins, False, Livids. That's uh, Short O'Brien. Woo! And um, Voice Master. And um, yep, uh, rest in peace, Ross, Voice. And some people have passed from these bands. Uh, some people are still here. Lots of people are still making music. Everyone's still awesome. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, this was a definite big formative part of my, like, late teens, early 20s. Mm. And um, we all hung out at the stomach. Um, Palmy was really different back then. Um, there was a lot more uh, counterculture, I reckon. And education was free. Um, there was still a lot of funding being put into community groups, um, uh, like, you know, so much more sort of activism, political community mindedness was way more visual. It was way more on the streets. Like this stuff still exists in our lives and world for sure. But, um, back then what was really nice about it was you could see it these I think you know we all know the effect that rent and everything like that has had on space and people's ability to be able to be in and be present and be seen um so yeah Leo's lots of these groups were just sort of had had more space there'd be offices there'd be just mm. you know more rooms for things like that on the inside yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally used to come down from uh, Levin to Palmy yeah. maybe every couple of weeks and um, that was one of my stops was that record shop yeah. and sort of second hand yeah. shop or something yeah. Yeah. Had, yeah. yeah 
That's yeah. a cool spot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was Paul Hurst and Amanda. Yeah. They were Paul's and bands too. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, there was a lot more of that stuff was like, yeah, present and um, in, the, in the 3D realm rather than where <laughs> in all the other different realms of today. So, yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I feel lucky to have been part of those times. And like all great times in your past, often you take it for granted. Uh, how, but yeah, so he's, here's uh, Sex on the Beach by Dogtooth Violet. Um, and I was the singer. Um, Caroline Hicks uh, was on guitar. And before her, Erin was on guitar. And then Soraya was on bass and Kirsty was on drums. So yeah.
Yeah, that's uh, Sex on the Beach by Dog, Tooth Violet, Palmerston North, circa 1993. Four, five, Four. something like that. It, uh, I was just saying, yeah, it's got that uh, kind of industrial edged Palmerston North yeah. sound from that time, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Back in those days, I mean, uh, to be honest, uh, Dog Tooth Violet, we were probably like um, slightly intimidated that we probably weren't sounding hard enough, you know? Like, oh, maybe we were a bit soft compared to all of the um, <laughs> other kind of harsh, sort of jagged, industrial, industrial metal kind of stuff that was actually really um, sort of prevalent in that, in that sort of like um, scene at the time. So, um, yeah, it was real hardcore and like um, the music sounding like real hardcore, I suppose, as a as a reaction, as always, that kind of political reaction. But um, it was definitely intimidating to be a young person and, and to sort of, <laughs> yeah, like kind of, um, uh, there's a funny story where, um, so if you kind of liked bands like Blondie or whatever, like that was just like kind of embarrassing. That was just way too pop, like way too, um, um, you know, just not hard or dark enough. Mm. And, um, and so, uh, like a few years later, um, and by that stage I was living in Wanganui and actually, um, Paul Hurst, who you mentioned earlier with Pretty on the Inside, we confessed to each other that we actually really deep down really loved Blondie. And um, <laughs> so um, so we kind of decided to come out of the um, Blondie closet. closet <laughs> and um, actually I ended up having a party in Wanganui where I played um, Blondie only. And so um, <laughs> we even had to kind of like rise up against our ourselves, which is good. Yeah. And there's... Um uh, and is Wanganui where the next band which you're going to play, which I think is Cortina, mm. right? Oh, yeah. Is that where Cortina was? Yeah, that was totally born there. That's the art school in Wanganui that yeah. was fantastic, but yep. sadly closed now yeah. for yep. five or six years. Yeah. Yeah. Or more, maybe. Yeah. Mm. And what were you uh, studying there at the. Mm. Or was it just like general art? Yeah, it was funny. I, yeah, man. What did I do? I went to art school. Uh, after sort of bumming around quite a lot at um, university and doing things like anthropology and uh, sociology and stuff, but like not really getting it, like not really finding that kind of um, academic culture kind of on one, you know, it was great to be being exposed to things, but I didn't quite have the kind of like understanding of what all that was about. So I didn't, uh, and you know, yeah, um, there was other kind of things going on that were really good to be a part of. And, um, you know, like protests and um, cool parties and um, cactus, mushrooms. <laughs> um, and just general love of music, actually, um, and people. But anyway, I'm uh, back to Wanganui. So then um, after a while, I... Um, I sort of worked in hospo and did some things like that and then I decided I should actually commit to art make that commitment so I went to art school which was um, actually quite horrifying and also another moment where you come up against a kind of an institution and you're like you can't actually find your place in it and I, I remember like thinking man I was kind of like feeling feeling more art actually 
back in Palmy, back in the, the freak scene, like, and I was kind of bummed out, like, going to Wanganui, like, the art school there just seemed kind of conservative and dry compared to the rich, diverse sort of background I'd been sort of hanging out in. So that was a bit of a shock, but luckily there was some good people there still, having said that, and we managed to kind of, like, join forces and find each other in the strange uh institutional realm of Wanganui Art School, which at that time, and sadly, had a lot of American influence um, in terms of what art even is or um, like what, how, how you even meant to engage with art. It was actually really through quite a, an American lens, which looking back is outrageous and disgusting. Like where was the... Where was the locality? Where was like just a sense of um, like, uh, you know that that fight to be who you are and to be who yourself, be yourself. Like, so anyway, um, wrestled with the art, <laughs> the the institutional kind of idea of art for ages, and um, yeah, as fate would have it, of course, um, Matt Hunt was in uh, Wanganui as well, and. Um, just finding that like-minded sort of um, sort of perspectives, we ended up jamming, and uh, at that stage we just used to like watch really bad infomercials. Remember infomercials? Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd just like put a TV on a couch and we'd just be like jamming to the TV. And um, Matt Hunt was quite driven by uh, interdimensional uh, evil beings, not driven by them, but you know he'd he'd observed them and as part of his palmy research, and. Um, I always found that take on things not quite my language, but I understood where he was coming from um, in terms of what is controlling our world in terms of the greed and the bad politics that's out there. So um, we we had moments where we could cross over and connect, and then we had other moments where it was like, nah, man, I'm going to go and howl at the full moon, and he's like, nah, nah, that's not my cup of tea. I'm going to go and um, paint reptilian future cops. So it's like, oh, no, okay, cool, man, you do your thing, I'll do mine. And um, <laughs> so, but I think what was cool about Cortina was that it was a total uh, respect of your authenticity, and. Um, and sort of and the inherent diversity that is amongst us as people and how we respond to this this realm of uh, you know reality that we're in and um so Cortina was a space to test test out our responses to life and being real at the same time and so it was often really humorous um there was a lot of taking the piss but then there was also a lot of deep deep like concern and worry for the world and love for the world and um and we ended up so yeah jamming lots in uh, Wanganui and then this uh, mystical folk guy called Tony Roven and so um dear old Tony Roven like in the dark underbelly of like industrial palmy there's Tony Roven like beautiful poet writing folk songs <laughs> 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 and so um, we um, we hooked up with Tony Roven, and so like as three people, we you probably couldn't get more kind of diversity in a band in terms of like musical influences, um, sort of uh, fashion, um, <laughs> tastes, all of that stuff. But there was something that was really uh, unified still amongst us, and I think it was just our sort of uh, our passion for the world 
being a better place and um, calling out what we sort of thought was messing with our right to be cosmic individuals and, you know, groups <clears throat> and collectives. So that's the story of Cortina, really. And, um, yeah, uh, I don't know which Cortina song to play. Um, there's my favourite, one of my favourite Cortina songs is a song called Sex Art, and that's where I pretty much kind of um, got down with the river at a, uh, a Wanganui party and I really felt the river and that was one of those songs actually that kind of comes out where Matt just had a really awesome riff and then I just like improved the vocals over the top of it in this party moment and then what I improved ended up like being the the one like mm. so we stuck with that so that's how that song was formed but I think because I'm feeling a bit rah and ranty I might just play I'm Not an American because that song definitely came out of uh, the response to being at an art school in Wanganui, Aotearoa, being dominated by American, I really want to swear, American um, ideas about art. It was just like really wrong. And I wished I'd known how wrong it was more when I was there. But I had, I had an inkling. And that's what's cool about music and art. You have an inkling of something and you and it comes out. And then it's not until years later that you go, oh, man, I was so onto it back then. I really didn't know my shit. I knew what I was talking about. But at the time, you kind of don't. And that's why, um, you know, that's why art's got that awesome kind of like sort of almost prophetic uncertainty where you can find parts of yourself and you're not sure what's going on. But then you later on, you look back and you're like, ah, that's what I was. That's what I was kind so of exercising. Yeah. So I think we'll play the I'm Not an American song. And what what uh, we as Cortina, now Cortina still is, exists on and off, and now um, uh, we, uh, um, Dream Boy or uh, Richard Faulkner, he's in the band now. And so, but what we like, like thinking about is like how a lot of those Cortina songs that were written around like 2000 <laughs> were kind of slightly prophetic in terms of... Um, like where things have become really seen in the world, like, you know, America's downfall, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So let's play on an American. Shit, sorry, I keep talking.
Cortina. I am not an American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the band that did really well on like about 11 songs. <laughs> no, sorry, guys. We had more songs than that. Definitely. <laughs> but yeah. That was a popular band. Yeah. yeah moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good moment. Yeah, yeah, we did. We, um, yeah, what well, was, we were getting to that point where, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're getting to that glorious point where um, we'd be hiring a, <clears throat> excuse me, a radio receiver for Aces. We'll call him Ace. Ace hurt, but now he's Ace okay. But anyway, um, Matt Hunt equals Ace. Anyway, so we were getting to the point where we were hiring um, radio receiver uh, pickups, whatever you call that, for Matt's. Um, oh, guitar. like a like a um, yeah. wireless wireless. Guitar. Yeah, oh, we were really? getting to the point where we were like, "Man, this we're getting so big, we've got to go wireless." <laughs> and um, <laughs> and so Ace would come in, like uh, me and Richard would be on stage, and Ace would just like start lead breaking. Like um, Matt did this beautiful poster for one of our gigs where the poster was a drawing, sorry, a painting of a guitar with wings, and it was like I dreamt I was a lead break, and um, for the. <laughs> For that gig, mm-hmm. um, Matt started playing the guitar somewhere out on the deck in like San Francisco bathhouse, mm-hmm. and um, um, like so we're on the stage playing a, you know, building it up, building it up, and then this amazing lead break comes from out of nowhere, and Matt's not on the stage, like, and he actually just like started out at the porch, and like, yeah, the, at the end of the Cortina days, like, yeah, we like we're packing out places like San Fran. And so, like, Matt slowly weaved his way through the crowd, like, doing this amazing lead break. And then I think he ended up getting lifted up and, like, kind of passed over people. And it was this beautiful journey up to the stage. So, like, we did kind of, like, try and make the most of being a little bit epic <laughs> at times. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then that was, I think that was the fundraiser gig for our famous uh, world tour where we, um, I say famous as an in infamous... <laughs> Uh, classic. Things fell apart in Germany. <laughs> and um <laughs> ran out of money. Um but we were never intending to stay in the world. Um we were always intending to kinda of like come back to New Zealand. It was just a tour. But um yeah, stress, lack of money, um yeah, a few breakdowns and um but having said that, by the time we we played in America like about sort of, I don't know, 15 gigs in America. I suppose one of my proudest Cortina moments is that we actually made it to South by Southwest, but not as a band chosen by the New Zealand Music Commission. Um, we just like got there anyway and um, played it, <laughs> played it South by Southwest on this renegade truck um, hooked up by this kind of cool punk guy, punk rocker from New York, and I can't remember his name, sorry, but we played, he would always organise a renegade, like anti sort of like um, anti the the selling of music kind of like zone. And so we played on his renegade track and that was pretty awesome. And um, so we were hanging out at South by Southwest, but we totally kind of got there on our own and were hassling the New Zealand Music Commission people to buy us a beer and stuff like that. It was real funny. And of course they were stoked to see us. Like it was, it wasn't, um, there was no rivalry. It was just all good times, but, um, but that was a really cool experience being part of that. And, uh, and then we managed to get over to London and we played a couple of gigs there and then we went to Germany, like Berlin, and uh, at Berlin did actually feel like a homecoming. Like um, one of our gigs, people were singing our words and we didn't, like they had never heard the songs before. 
Maybe it's just because our our music was so simple, <laughs> so predictable. No, um, but yeah, it was like lots of like wild, good uh, connection moments. So that was real good. And it's a nice uh, segue. Oh mate, we're full oh, of the segues froze. today. Uh, to the next um, item on today's program, which is full fucking moon, which is uh, uh yeah. It was basically you and Torben, right? And then yeah. a couple of other various yeah, drummers. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We'd find our rhythm in mysterious ways. Yeah. yeah. And um, the segue being that this vinyl that you've brought in was recorded in Germany at a um, art residency, am I right in thinking yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. What's, what was the story there? So, um, yeah, a long story, but I ended up back in Germany, and I ended up um, – Sort of, uh, sort of. I ended up going out with Torben Tilly for a while as a partnership of music and art and creativity. And um, he, we both applied for this residency um, in Vorpsfeda, which is like North Germany, near the Teufelsmoor, which is the Devil's Bog. Ooh, so it was like rich with perfect. dense poetry already. And um, but yeah, I didn't get the residency and Torben did but the cool thing was that you were allowed to collaborate <clears throat> as part of the residency so we both ended up going there anyway which was awesome and part of that residency was like hanging out on this real flat bog like amazing like so good to experience that warped dimension of when things are so flat you it, everything gets uh confusing and confused like distance time it's real cool and um so we did a lot of field recordings and um, tried to live the dream of um, like being able to do music every day, and so it was really cool. Mm. But also just kind of being able to just like um, wander around a place and like get to be quite intimate with it and like go for walks and like really soak it up. And so we made this cool. EP-ish kind of album as part of that residency and it's all based, it's called Still Life with Black Light and we were really into sort of like that um, beautiful glowing kind of, um, the, you can't see it but the album covers kind of like that, the colour on it is like when you buy those glow-in-the-dark stickers and it's that beautiful kind of like limey green mm. but that's also like the colour of moss and it's like the colour of so many kind of like plants that are in that kind of glowing environment and we were there during the winter months and a little bit of spring. So everything was dark and wet. And so things were just that idea of things glowing with so much moisture, especially the, the swampy bogs and seeing the reflection of the light and things in the bog water. And um, yeah, so this little four track uh, art record um, has a lot of moments, it's totally dedicated to that time. It's interesting because it's, very different to what the band was like as a live band, which is yeah. more sort of um, long, uh, cosmic. <laughs> New Age weird. Farmers, we yeah. call ourselves. <laughs> New Age Farmers, yes. <laughs> um, more, more band, more bandy, you know, yeah. rather than, um, yeah. than yeah. good recordings. But this is fantastic. And yeah. um, But there isn't another document of Full Fucking Moon, is there? I mean, like a record. Nah, a, yeah. there's like there's definitely live recordings that we have put together in little um, listenable packages, but um, 
we they were always like really limited sort of edition and uh we never actually really sold them I, well maybe we did at the odd gig mm. um when we were touring around um so yeah but like that's kind of that thing where you feel like you should really just get your shit together and um it'd be cool to actually put a lot of that stuff on in one place mm. so that you even me, like today coming in, I was like, oh man, I'd like to have some of those live full fucking moon recordings. Oh, where are they? Ugh. Like, <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's somewhere in it. I've got some of that stuff in a box somewhere. Classic. Um, yeah, but because right. yeah, mm. it is different sounding. But this track is, ah, uh, yeah. I'll start it up while you intro Yeah. It. This track has uh, Steve Heather playing drums. He was also known as Electric Bongo Bongo. And, um, yeah, these are the crows. The crows used to hang out in the trees at a certain time of the day, kind of on dusk. Mm. But big gangs of them hanging out. Um, yeah, I won't say too much. We should just listen to it.
Cool Fucking Moon, the uh, organ song from uh, the Still Life with Black Light. Yeah. Recorded in Germany, a very kraut uh, rock heavy vibe yep. to that recording. Fantastic. With Torben Tilly on organ. Yep. Steve Heather, Steve Heather on drums. Yep. Our guest, Beck Coogan, there. Yep. Vocals. Yep, vocals, other. bit of bass. Yeah. Um, odd rattling of different things. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> uh, we've got time for two sort of quickies, I reckon. Yep. So um, maybe we'll head back to Palmy. Yeah. For a brief stop. Always. You can. You just have to keep going back there. It always pulls you back, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is with um, Kirsty and Sarah. Yeah. Kirsty Porter and Sarah. Sarah. No. Yep, Sarah yeah, Bingle. Bingle. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Keep on getting in first and second names yeah. around the wrong way. Um, yeah, Bingle, Porter and Coogan. <laughs> <laughs> Coogan, Bingle and Porter. And those two are, are highly uh, involved in or basically started mm. and run Snails, right? Yeah, Which totally. is a fantastic art space and music space yep. in Palmerston North, which is kind of maybe taken what the vibe used to be around the stomach yep. and is currently doing that kind of thing for Palmerston North. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So highly mm-hmm. recommend going to yeah. Snails. And um, this is The Gorge, aptly yeah. name for a Palmy band. Yeah. yeah. So talk us through The Gorge. I suppose, yeah, I had to move back to Palmy a wee while ago and, uh, and yeah, what, it was so beautiful to be back there and Gorge is like sort of the fruits from that time getting to jam with these awesome wahine. Mm. And um, so, yeah. And then I suppose, you know, when you're in Palmy, what do you do? You kind of get wasted and drive through the gorge, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, you did. Now the gorge is closed, so we're just the alternative route. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice. Well, let's play a bit of the gorge, a few minutes of that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. And then um, yeah. pop back for a last... Listen to something. Yeah. Yeah. So the Gorge is like my nature band, our oh, yeah. nature band. Yeah. Total nature band. Yeah. Um, Tourism, mate. And is Gorge just, um, <laughs> well, I sort of slowly faded up. Um, um, here, is it, uh, um, the Gorge have songs or is it, is it also a kind of free, is it a true, free thing? Or? Yeah. It's totally, every live gig is just improvised. Yeah. So we don't have, this Pyramid Chafe uh, track was a bit of a, um, like what'd you say signature tune or sort of mantra mantra like but it was always played differently and Mm. the only thing that was the same about the song was the lyric Mm. but uh we pretty much never talked about we never repeated it really Mm. yeah so yeah gorge totally improvised when even when we uh we don't practice we just jam really we come together and we go into the gorge zone and then the same ethos is for when we're performing live or whether we're coming together for our own sort of practice jam time, it's the same thing. So we just take that space live, yep.
the gorge there. Oh, sorry. Say again. Pyramid chafe. Pyramid chafe. <laughs> <laughs> that came about because we were talking about how in um, scenes, um, film scenes depicting like, you know, ancient Egypt, it was like, they were they really being real about the chafe? <laughs> and then like the whole power pyramid of, you know, greed, you name it. That 1% at the top, let's talk about the chafe. Is everyone chafing? So yeah, that's what that's about. <laughs> can smell your sweat, mate. It must be all the chafing. <laughs> so yeah, um, we've got the last track now, which is going to be, um, I thought could be kind of cool just to end with some ukulele, in fact. You Whoa. know, speak of the devil. Mm. Yeah. Nice. And, um, you know, so I suppose this one could go out to Francis and Megan, my uh, mm. Pycock mates with mm-hmm. uh, ukulele. And, um, but yeah, this was like a little track that I um, did in lockdown. So, and it was, what I loved about lockdown was just the breath and the space and how the birds came back. And it was like you could breathe with the trees and um, so this track is very slow and very breath-like. And, um, yeah, that's what probably all I need to say. It's just one woman, one uke, one suburb, one lawn, <laughs> heaps of blades of grass. <laughs> Thank you, Beck Coogan. Okay. Hey, thanks for having me. Here we go. This is called Una of the Lickdown. I, ca- I suppose it's Una because... Actually, how Universe was born was Jeff Henderson asked me to perform at a festival he was running and he suggested I blow up a ukulele. So I did, but it was raining. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. Um, here's, the st- here's the song. <laughs> <laughs> 